from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And hello to you, everyone joining us for the Badass Counseling Show. Welcome. I'm Sven Erlinson, your host. I'm joined in studio by KC, always silent up in the booth, and Rob, never silent, never need to be. I wish I could get him to talk more. Rob, how are you today? Anytime you need me to talk, Sven, it'll be just fine. Well, in that vein, let me ask you, how does it feel to turn another page on another year? I am uh, always ready for the next mystery tour of the mind, and (laughs) you're very good at it. Uh, Always focusing on the positive, sort of. What's that old World War One song? Pack up the troubles in the old kit bag. And, and smile, 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 smile. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We're looking at the subject of big decisions and feeling stuck. Or if we were to invert that, feeling stuck and sort of feeling like there may be a big decision ahead. Um, but it's that stuckness. It's that stuckness. And we have all been there. And I know many of you who listen in on the show are there right now. And so we hope to gain some new insight today. We're having conversations with two people, Nate to start and then Sarah. And they each have a distinctly different story, yet uh, interestingly familiar story. Rob, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Nate? I would love to. Nate wrote in and said, uh, hello, I am 22 years old and I've recently been feeling stuck with what my next step in life should be. I went to a trade school and work in construction, but I have learned this is not what I would like to pursue. I would like to pursue permaculture or horticulture. One of my goals in life is to cultivate my own food forest. My current situation calls for a lot of decisions to be made soon, and yet I feel paralyzed sometimes from all the options. I have an idea of where I want to be. I just don't know how to get there. On top of it, I have to drive at least four hours a day round trip for work. Nate, it's good to have you here on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, let's go ahead and dive right in, Nate. You say that you are feeling stuck and you feel paralyzed. Tell me a little bit more of what you mean. My living situation is a little unstable. Um, I've been living off of a family member's property and trying to transition out of living here and having my own place. But I'm not sure where I want to root myself or where I want to transition in life, really. Um, Job-wise... Offering a uh, leadership position, but I'm I'm just not sure if I want to follow through with that with this certain company, just stuff like that. And when you say you've been offered a leadership position with this certain company, and you had mentioned in your write up that you went to trade school and work in construction, what precisely is the work that you do uh, at this point at 22 years old? So I went to school to be an electrician. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only work I could really find was with a low voltage company, a communications company. Um, so I've been doing that this past year. Um, and that's why I've just been in right now. And they're offering to train me up into uh, to manage more of the projects by myself. Gotcha. And let me ask you, um, Okay, so you mentioned that, you know, geez, I don't know if I want this leadership position. And is it safe to say that you don't like the idea of leadership or is the real issue that you just don't really fucking want to do this work? I don't want to do this work with the people, with the environment, 
Um, some of the people I meet are pretty nice, but I mean, I've been dreading these past couple of weeks. Because? Couple of months. Because? The, I've been working with this one guy mainly these past couple of months. And I kind of just put up a face for him, but I mean, I really don't want to be trained under him. I don't want to be around his energy this whole time, these years to come, however long it will be. So is it the person or the work ultimately for you? I mean, yeah, person sucks, no doubt about that. Being under a boss we'd really rather not be under sucks ass. Nobody can dispute that. But is it basically, if you were to pick between the two, is it more so that I just don't want to be fucking doing this work? Yeah, I'd rather be in a garden. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And so then, um, so that sort of takes care of, you know, this work you're doing for the comm company. What about being a Sparky? You are trained to do that. Uh, you know, does the idea of actually being an electrician, does that actually interest you or you just sort of did it because, fuck, I got to do something? The only reason I went to school to be an electrician was to actually live in the family member's property. That was to get out of my mom's house. I just... Basically, the deal was I could go to school and just stay here. And I was like, all right, I'm all set. I just chose the electrical field because I figured it'd be a good thing to fall back on in the future, maybe. And that's good logic. It's always good to have something to fall back on. When I was going through uh, college and graduate school and some years after that, for me, it was the restaurant industry and tending bar and waiting tables. And I, you know, I'm always glad. I always appreciated having a lot of money in my pocket. So I, I get the idea of uh, having a fallback. Um, and, uh, but what's the reason then, ultimately, if you were to put it in one sentence or less, what is the reason that you're feeling stuck, that you're feeling paralyzed? What does it real, really boil down to for you? I just don't really have a sense of direction. I don't really have much motivation to really pursue whatever it is. Okay, fair enough. Let me ask you briefly, what was the reason you wanted to get out of your mom's house? Just, I felt drained every day. Why? Why? Sum it up. Help me understand. Walking on eggshells. What would what would happen if you stepped out of line at mom's house? If you didn't watch where you were walking, so to speak, what were you, you walked on eggshells because we do that in life because we're afraid of something happening. What were you afraid of happening if you misstepped? Well, I can tell you it wasn't really physical abuse. Okay. What was it? More like verbal Give me an example. What's the sort of shit that she would say that you grew wary of and weary of and that you walked tiptoed around? What was it? Give us an example of, let's say, the worst thing she ever said to you. The worst thing she ever said to me? Yeah. Well, wait, stop, stop, stop. Before you say it, what makes you giggle? What What's going on inside you right now? What caused you to giggle? There's a couple things. All right, let's hear it. I got to hear this now, man. Growing up, uh, she always said, Oh, this house was so clean when I, before I had you all, I, my house, my house was never a mess before I had you just stuff like that. Mm. Um, How'd that make you feel? <laughs> like, how is that my problem? Right. Like none of this is my stuff. I mean, basically, I mean, the house was full of her stuff and I had my room and I'm like, what, how is this my responsibility? All this is your stuff. And so that's the sort of stuff she'd say when you were young, and yet you say you were walking on eggshells up until even a few years ago. So what was it you were most afraid of um, that caused you to walk on eggshells uh, up until, you know, for as long as you were living with her before moving out to the extended family member's place? She'd just unload her emotions on me, all of her stress. 
for example? When she was going, she was going back to school when I was in high school. Any chance I got to talk to her, it it just automatically turned into all her stress, everything she's got going on. Um, so you were constantly carrying her burdens, and it was always being dumped on you. Was there ever ever room in the conversations or in life for you? Did she ever give a shit about you? I mean, really, like you felt she give a shit and she was there for you? At times, yes, but then the instances where she would say certain things made it feel like that it just wasn't meant to be. Like I, I wasn't meant to be. What do you mean you weren't meant to be? Like, oh, my house was spotless before I had you, you know. Mm -hmm. Give me another example of it that you weren't meant to be. It's funny I said that, but now I'm not really. Well, let me ask you this. Rather than uh, seeking a particular example, or you gave one, it's a good one, appreciate that. Is it safe to say that you felt like basically she didn't want you there? You felt like you weren't wanted or that you were a fucking burden? Or how would you sum it up? It felt more like a burden, like a, yeah, I'm stuck with you now. I love you, but now my life's a mess and I'm just going to dump all my stress on you. And Wow. I'm stuck with you. You know, basically you're a burden. And so you wanted to get the hell out of there. That makes total sense. Who the hell wants to feel like a burden? And like, really... Who I am doesn't really matter because clearly I'm just a fucking burden to you. And uh, so you got out of there. And did you, was there a sense of relief when you did? Yes. Oh, yeah. I've been living by myself for like the past three years now. I'm, I'm, I really want to get out and get my own place and, you know, create more friendships. Um, but yeah, that solitude, it was, it was great. Uh, that's wonderful. Okay, so let me ask you then. Let's bring it back then. Now, I just wanted to get some history on you and sort of what might have contributed to you feeling stuck now. But you you talk about numerous times. I mean, you'd said, I have no sense of direction, no motivation, um, you know, not sure what to do about this leadership position you're being offered. Um, and you're in a somewhat unstable uh, living situation, but uh, you are that you do have a roof over your head, you want to get your own place. Let me ask you this. You make it very clear in the paragraph that uh, Rob just read that you sent to us that um, what I'm doing, uh, this is not what I want to pursue. And I'd like to pursue permaculture uh, and horticulture. And one of your life goals is to cultivate your own food forest. Now, that's pretty fucking cool in my book. All right, and I know a lot of people that would think it was cool. Actually, when the producers brought uh, your paragraph to me, they're both like, this is fucking cool. And uh, so I, I have to ask the obvious question, if that's one of your goals in life, if that's your passion, permaculture slash horticulture, and it, just straight question, why the fuck aren't you pursuing it? I was told uh, that maybe I should pursue school. And I looked at a school that was actually pretty high up in horticulture and just looking at the like the SAT scores and the ACT scores and your GPA all that it just I had so much motivation to go back to school which is kind of opposite for me my tendency and when I looked at all that all the requirements 
it just brought me all the way back down. Sure. Took the wind out of your sails. I get that. Let me ask you two questions. One, you said you looked at one of the top schools. Have you looked at other schools that offer what you want to study? I mean, there got to be a million schools out there. Well, obviously not a million, but a million schools out there that have uh, studies in this field. Um, have you considered other options or is it just sort of that one sort of knocked the wind out of you and you don't really want to try again? That one took a big hit to me. Of course. Um, I have looked at other schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and? I just stayed in state, tried to stay in state and wasn't really feeling going back to where I, I'm really originally from. Really, I want to get out of the current state that I am, the Living situation. Oh, the region or the living situation or what are you talking about? I live in Georgia. I want to get out of Georgia. Let me ask you this question, Nate. I'm a big believer that there's, as my father used to say, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And uh, schooling, no doubt, is probably a very, very good way to get your start. But I have to believe there are, and I'm speculating, I'm spitballing. I know nothing about permaculture. I know a bit about horticulture and and. Uh, you know, my parents had giant gardens. They had both grown up on farms during World War II and the Depression and so forth. And so I was around it and learned some things. But you're in a, you know, what you're shooting for is a whole different thing. And I guess what I'm wondering is there's got to be positions, places, farms, ranches, uh, ag businesses where you could go and apprentice. I mean, think about what you're doing right now for this comm company. You got an entry level fucking position. And you just get, went in, did the work, and they want to bump you up. Isn't it reasonable to assume that while going the school route is one way to go after it, and maybe you can, still can, I'm not disputing that, and there, there are a million fucking schools out there. There really are. Um, but there, another way is to just start working in the field, just start on the bottom rung and get in there and learn and work your ass off. And I have to believe, Nate. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong. I don't mind being wrong. I have to believe that if you were waking up each day, let's, I'm just going to make something up. You're working on a, you know, a whatever farm or working for whatever horticulture outfit. The, there would be some measure of excitement to get up each day and get a little dirty and strap on those boots and, you know, get your hands in the dirt. I, would that be reasonable to assume? Yes. All right. Let me ask you then, have you, and maybe you haven't, that's okay. It's an honest question, I, you know, honest answer. It's all I'm wanting. Have you explored the options of just going and working in your field, even if it means getting the hell out of your state? Yes. And? And um, I've reached out to a certain company that's in Florida. Okay. Um, they said, if you move to this county, then there's a potential, but I'm not, then I wasn't sure if I'd actually want to live in that certain part of Florida if I want to spend a, at least five years, I'm assuming, in that part of Florida. Fair. Totally fair. And so let me ask you then. So that's one. So you already, you explored a bit and you already got one lead. Am I correct? Correct. So isn't it reasonable to assume that if you were to continue to just play with it, playing with this idea of I'm just going to get on the Google and I'm just going to fucking explore horticulture jobs, permaculture jobs. You know, uh, maybe it's uh, they need somebody to we're doing a six month stint down in fucking Guatemala and we need someone down there to do grunt work with us. Or maybe it's whatever it is. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just I can't believe that there aren't 
a whole lot of different opportunities to sort of get your feet wet. And the beauty of being 22 years old and, you know, being a good worker, you sound like a good worker. They wouldn't be offering you a promotion unless you were, you know, a good worker. I got to believe that there's a lot of fucking opportunities out there. Yeah, for sure. All right. And so let me ask you this. If we were to just tinker with that idea for a minute, and again, no commitment, I'm not pressuring you into anything, but if you were to consider the idea of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of back burner the school idea. And believe me, Nate, I am pro school. I'm all for school. And it was really interesting what you just said. You know, some people are saying that I was told I should pursue school, you know, for the permaculture, horticulture, et cetera. And you basically said, no, nah, I'm not really a school guy. But the idea of schooling in something I'm interested, you, you implied is like, all right, well, I could do that, right? Right. Isn't that interesting? I mean, think about that. Whether it's schooling or work, isn't it interesting how when we're working at something we love, when we're studying something we really find interesting, it's like all of a sudden I want to do it. But if I got to study some shit that I don't want to study, or if I got to work at a fucking job I don't want to work at, it's a fucking drain, right? Right. So then wouldn't it be reasonable to assume that the wise course is to find something that just lights me up, that electrifies me, and just sort of take those steps because at least you're going to be excited to work. At least you're going to be, you know, interested in what you're doing. And I tell you what, Nate, one of the things that I've found in life, and I'll bet Rob could echo this, he's got quite a colorful past. I know for a fact KC could. And that is that when we are working at something we love, we just naturally work harder because we work happy. And at times it really doesn't even feel like work. Have you ever had that experience in your life or has work always been just pretty much a fucking pain in the ass for you? It's not always been like that. Um, I like working outside. I used to work at Home Depot um, in the garden center. <laughs> nice. Um, pretty fun. You know, it's funny you say that, Nate. I just got to throw this in. You know, I told you my parents, giant gardens, you know, when I was growing up and I have five older siblings and you know, and, uh, you know, my mom, she had arthritis, so she loved having her hands in the dirt and transplanting this. And we had all these fucking crops and everything. And I would always tell her, mom, I will do anything in the garden. I'll transplant. I'll do all your heavy lifting. I'll move a big, you know, truck full of dirt over to this part of the land, whatever. But I will not weed the fucking garden because I'm six foot four. So having to bend down all the time, I get a sore back, I get fucking dirt under my fingernails. It's like, fuck, mom, yeah. come on, just give me the heavy stuff. All right. Um, but anyway, I want to ask you this. So if you were to get online, looking at other schools, but also just starting fucking rapid fire, looking at all the different jobs within the horticulture, permaculture world and seeing what's out there, um, you know, and, and playing with it, letting yourself fantasize, letting yourself just see, open up your mind. And maybe it'll be something you didn't even fucking weren't even considering. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That actually looks kind of interesting. I'd be working on a ranch in South Dakota, but they have a uh, sort of their own food force, or it's working at the you know huge blah 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 building where they have gardens on their roof. Or who the hell knows? But my question is this: If you were to see an opportunity or six, I mean, you you put your feet in the water and you already got one offer, basically one lead. 
Let me ask you this. If you were to see some leads um, and pursue some of them and potentially even take one, what in, in, in this whole equation, in one sentence or less, is your single biggest fear in going down this road of, of a career and a field you like? What's your biggest fear? I think going through the process of starting over again. Amen. And what is it about the process of starting over again that you fear? Why does that? I can understand anybody starting over at any age. I mean, think about it. You're 22. Think about the clients I have who are 44 or even 55, and they're starting over. What is it for you? So it's not an uncommon thing. And I'm telling you, Nate, this is not the last time in your life you're going to encounter this. It becomes part of life. But let me ask you, and that doesn't mean it's not important. I'm not trying to say that. I totally get what you're saying. But let me ask you in one sentence or less, what is it about going through the process of starting over that uh, is the most fear-inducing for you? I think just putting in so much time and effort into something that I think I'm going to like, and then turns out that maybe I choose something different or something else arises. I mean, Really, there's so many options and things I want to do. Mm-hmm. That's where kind of where like the the paralyzed feeling came in. It's like there's so much I want to do, and I want to I wanted to start. I just don't know where to start. I and if I do start somewhere, I don't want to regret regret some of the decisions I make of like where I live or yeah. <laughs> No, I get it. I totally get that. But the bottom line, what's fascinating is you have all these choices in front of you and yet you're choosing to stay in shit you don't like. So I'm, I'd rather stay in shit than choose something I might actually like because, gee, what if I change my mind or if I put in the time and the effort and then I change my mind, you know, six months in or whatever. I want to tell you something. My 93-year-old mother uh, passed away a year ago, okay, a year and a month ago. And one of the things that she used to frequently say is this. Now, listen to this in light of what you're talking about. She would always say, Sven, sometimes we have to pass through this door. Not because the room behind that door is the one we're going to be in forever, but because we're going to be in that room until we realize there's a door at the back of that room that we need to walk through. And so we walk through that door, which leads down a stairway into a little ante room. And we spend some time, maybe it's a month, maybe it's 10 years in that ante room. And then we recognize there's a dumb waiter that takes us all the way up to the roof. And up on the roof, there's this tiny little shed up on the roof where we're gonna spend the next 14 years. And then after that, we discover there's another door. In other words, we don't know the end destination, Nate. We only know what the next door is, and you have to trust. You have to trust that dreams lead to new dreams lead to new dreams. I started out studying at the U.S. Air Force Academy to be a fighter pilot. No shit. Grades were good. I was an intercollegiate athlete, Division I, all this crap. Left there and felt a calling to go into ministry, went into ministry. And while simultaneously uh, this little counseling career on the side, and I was writing my first articles and books, and, and none of those panned out. And yet, there's this great quote by Steve Jobs, and he says, we can only connect the dots in reverse. I'm 55 now. Every piece that I didn't make a career out of, but I did two years here of this or eight years of that off and on, every single one of those pieces is now part of my life today. The military aspect, 
the number of pilots, commercial and military that I counsel, uh, my world, uh, all of my work in the corporate world, all of the years studying world religions and spirituality, all of those things weave together now. I had to trust my inner voice to go into something when it felt right to go into it and to move through it and move on to whatever is next when it was time to move through it because I was acquiring knowledge. I was acquiring insight into myself, but it requires the courage to trust the journey. You don't know how it's going to end up. No one could have ever told me back in the 1980s when I was your age that I would be a you know TikTok, TikTok star around the world and have a podcast, et cetera, et cetera. You want to know why? TikTok's only been around for five years. Social media has only been around for about 15 years. Personal computing, for the most part, didn't exist when I was your age. <laughs> no one could have ever predicted. And yet here we are. So the point is, it requires the courage to just start taking some steps. Taking some steps and trust that it'll weave together. And you're going to walk into one room and you're going to see the door for the next room right away. And you got to have the courage to go through it and keep trusting your gut. But you've been taught your gut doesn't matter. You've been taught your voice doesn't matter. You've been taught a whole load of shit from your childhood. And the more you are deliberate about getting out that pain, those fears, and the bullshit messages you were taught about them yourself, the more you're deliberate about that, using my book, using the podcast, using journaling or counseling if you want. You can do it on your own. The more you do that, the clearer you're gonna become in hearing your own inner voice. And that's gonna be your beacon, your GPS, your entire life. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does, definitely. Right on. Well, Nate, it's been great having you on the show and I'm gonna encourage you to get in there and play. Get in there and see what's out there. You've got so much potential and you have such an unusual interest and it excites me to hear there are guys like you in the world because that's the future, man. But you gotta have the courage to just explore what's out there and take the first baby step and then the next baby step. And to know you got you got Sparky in your back pocket. You can always, you know, be an electrician on the side to pay some bills or apprentice or do some more of the work you've been doing, but you gotta pursue your dream or you ain't never gonna be happy. But pursuing that dream requires you believing in your own voice and that your joy matters. Does that make sense? It does. Nate, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. And I know a whole lot of people got a lot of good meat out of what you shared with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. You betcha. After this short break, I'll be right back with my next guest here on the Badass Counseling Show. Okay. Well, you've, you've heard the podcast. You've listened to other people's issues. Maybe you've studied hundreds of Sven's TikTok videos. Time to stop lurking, face your fears, and focus directly on the one person in your life who can benefit the most from Sven's experience and insight. Now, that would be you. Just go to badasscounseling.com and order Sven's book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or check out his many video courses. Sven found a way to help himself out of a 12 years depression. It worked for him, and it can work for you too. Check out badasscounseling.com today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are back. It was great talking to Nate. And now we've got another guest still on this topic of big decisions and feeling stuck and just wanting to move forward. Rob, tell us about Sarah. I would be happy to, Sven. Here's her story. 
Sven, I've been following you online and have read your book. I love all of it because it makes so much sense to me. But since I split from my ex-husband almost seven years ago, I started to find myself drinking wine more and more. I think it's maybe some form of self-medication, even though I take anxiety medication every day. I have dealt with depression and anxiety since I was a teenager. I've done a lot of work on myself in the past seven years, but I cannot kick this need to drink, and I also smoke as well. I find myself hiding from my kids with my wine and cigarettes. I know I'm running from things. But my life is so much better than it was seven years ago. I went through some horrible relationships because I thought I couldn't do any better. have dealt with a lot of guilt for my kids having divorced parents, even though my ex and I get along and co-parent extremely well. There has always been this void in me, and I have never been able to figure out what it is. Maybe the wine every night is something to fill that void feeling. I am a good mom. I love my kids. I have a transgender 13-year-old daughter that came out and... We allowed her to socially transition when she was six years old. I know I also have issues from emotional neglect from my childhood. I also know I need to start journaling more to flush things out, but I don't remember a lot from my childhood. I just want to be able to get rid of whatever is making me run and turn to alcohol and cigarettes as my crutches in dealing with everyday life. Can you help? Hello, Sarah. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Sarah, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. You had said that uh, you started about seven years ago drinking wine. And yep. you said, basically, since I split from my ex-husband. Um, talk yes. to me about the correlation between splitting from your ex-husband and starting on the wine. So I think I, so I'm 42 and I met my ex-husband when I was 20. So since the time I was 20, I was never alone. Um, we had two kids. I have an 18 year old and a 13 year old. Um, and I think at that point, seven years ago, when I moved out, I was not used to, for one, not having my kids every single day. I was not used to being alone, um, at all. What was the hardest part about being alone? Now that you're, you were confronted with this new reality seven years ago, what was the hardest part about being alone? You always had commotion. You always had busyness. You always had something to do. Yeah. And so what was the hardest part about the being alone? Looking back on it now and just knowing what I know now and things that I've done and learned about myself, I know it was sitting alone with my feelings and my thoughts. If, if you were to go back sort of in your mind and, and remember that, and by the way, that's a great insight. If you were to think back on those times and being alone with your thoughts and your feelings, what was the biggest feeling or thought that you most hated being alone with? Feeling guilt for um, my kids having to have divorced parents. Um, I felt at that time that it was my fault, that I'm the one who initiated the, the divorce. I messed up my family. Um so a lot of it was that and, and just dealing with all of that, even though I knew and I know now that it was the best decision for me and it's made me a better mom and a better person. Um, just dealing with that part of it at that point in time, I think was, was where that came from. That makes sense. Let me ask you this. You then go on to say, I've dealt with depression and anxiety since I was a teenager. Um, yes. Why? What caused you initially to become depressed? What are we talking about? I want you to pinpoint an age. 
teenager could be 19, but it could also be 13. 15, 15, 15. Why 15? When I was 15, I got the first diagnosis of clinical depression and anxiety. I have tried thinking about that. I mean, in therapy and whatnot for years about what exactly caused it. And I don't recall an exact trigger or an exact um, event that caused it. I just know it was my freshman year in high, of high school. I started to have all these anxious feelings. Um, I couldn't talk to my either of my parents about it. So I started talking to the psychologist at school. And that's kind of where that started. Okay, two things. Um, One, what were the, the bulk of the anxious feelings about? Was it about world hunger and you were really anxious and, and crazy nervous about world hunger? Or were you nervous about boys? What was uh, the thing that repeatedly you were anxious about? I think a, a big part of it was um, self-esteem issues at that point. And you believed yourself to be what? I was not pretty enough. Um, I felt like at that time, boys didn't like me. I wasn't good enough. Um, Fair enough. You made the comment, I couldn't talk to mom and dad about this, so I talked to the school psychologist. Why couldn't you talk mm -hmm. to mom and dad about this? To this day, I can't talk to my mom and about what was the reason you couldn't talk to your mom and dad back then? What was the reason? If I would bring up anything deeper than the weather or anything just in the normal day-to-day -to, -day to either to my mom, uh, she would emotion, she would just shut down and change the subject because she didn't want to deal with it. She didn't want to... She, we didn't, we did not express any emotions. We did not say, I love you. We didn't hug none of that. Like emotions were like taboo. Like you don't talk about your feelings. And uh, that started when you were 15 or is it reasonable to assume that had been going on? Or oh no, that was, oh, I'm sure that was my whole life. Okay. Yeah. So your whole life, uh, your feelings, there was no room in your house for your feelings. Lock that shit down, young no. lady. Right. Okay. And uh, no emotions. So you got the message loud and clear that your emotions aren't welcome, that who you really are doesn't matter, and it's not welcome. Safe to say? Yes. Okay. The, um, the third binary gate, yes. The third binary gate. Okay, you have read the book. There's a hole in my love cup. I've read the book. All right, good, good. We're talking the same language, although some of our listeners maybe haven't read it. So you and I can use the yeah, shorthand. Okay. We can race along. Okay. But I just want to make sure they catch up with us. Sure. Um, yeah, and yep, it, yep. just out of curiosity, what was it like reading that chapter on the three binary gates? It was like a light bulb. Um, through some of my therapy, I really started to actually... I've been through, I've started therapy I, on and off when I was in high school, but it wasn't until that um, I started doing therapy during my divorce that I actually started doing, started to do some of the work and not just sitting there mm -hmm. in an office mm -hmm. um, that I started to kind of learn, learn some of this and learn more about me and, and um, <clears throat> where some of this, this was all coming from. And let me ask you, you had said in your home growing up, there were no emotions expressed. Mom would shut down if you opened up about anything. And you also said there were no I love yous. No. Um, is that your entire life and to this day that I love you? I still can't say I love you to my mom because it's like nails on a chalkboard. It just, ugh, like, she doesn't say it to me. After my parents got divorced when I was 18, my dad changed quite a bit. And he 
Now I can say I love you to my dad. Like he's changed a lot and our relationship has changed a lot, but my mom still like. How is, in what way has he changed the most that makes you able to say, I love you to him? What was the fundamental shift? Because prior to that, you couldn't, or you wouldn't, and he wouldn't. Right. So what above all else in one sentence or less changed in pop that caused you to be able to say, fucking A, old man, I love you. He started saying it to me. So he said it first. Mm-hmm. What did that feel like when you first heard your father say, I love you? Honestly, the first time he, first few times he said it, I was like, ugh. <laughs> like it did not feel right. It felt weird. It felt sure. uncomfortable. And then what you said the first few times, but then what happened? It started to get easier to hear it. And then I would, I said it back and now it's just normal. Like I can talk to my dad now. Um, How does that feel? It feels really good because he and, and my stepmom now it's, um, there are people I know that I can talk to about things where I never had that before growing up. What does it feel like to know that you matter to know that somebody gives a shit about you and who you really are and that you're appreciated and valued. How does that feel to have that uh, starting at age 18, but now all the way through to 42, how does that feel? It feels amazing. It, it validates me as a person almost. It just, right. um, so, and, and, and said, and yet you said that I could never have that with my mom growing up. And to this day, you use the words to this day, same shit. Yeah. You're a fucking burden, no emotions, and presumably still no I love yous, right? Right. It's just not, I mean, example, like when I first told my mom I was going to leave my ex-husband, the first thing she told me was you need to probably check yourself into a mental institution. Oh, for fuck's sake, mom. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Thanks, mom. But I also I also have really looked at myself and in, into why I got married I knew before we got married that something was off and I wasn't, I wasn't feeling it, but I was like, ah, oh, so it's just gotta be cold feet because what's mom going to think if I don't go through with this, because he's a really good guy. He's got this great farm. He's, he's, a, and he is a very good person. We mm-hmm. just didn't mesh, but, I hear you. but there was a lot of what's my mom going to say, what's my mom going to think, what's my mom going to, yeah. Wow. Um, and so if I'm hearing you correctly and believe it or not, that's more common than you would think. I see a lot. Mm-hmm. So, but if I'm hearing you correctly, you were with this guy, with this guy, whatever he proposes, whatever, and you're going along the road, and sort of some momentum builds up, and then it's like, well, it feels off, but fuck, I don't want to deal with mom's wrath. Yeah, I moved out for a couple of weeks because I'm like, oh god, I don't know if, I, and I was thinking, oh, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm 23, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just like, this is scary. So you're doubting yourself at that point, but the real issue is you don't want to fucking deal with mom's bullshit, wrath, critical yep. crap, right? Right. If I'm hearing you correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you know I don't mind being mm-hmm. wrong, all right? I just want to yep. understand yep. that basically you walked into a marriage because you were afraid of saying no and having to eat your mother's shit. Yeah, that was a big part of it. And what was the other part? I got pregnant. Well, there's that. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really, I, I have to say, though, my ex-husband, we are great friends now. We co-parent well. Like, we just weren't meant to be married. I but. But I, looking back now, that's 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 why I that's one of the big reasons I did it. It was because what what are people going to think? Right. Like I'm giving up on this great man. That's you know, and he is a good person. But there were other issues as well oh, that people course. didn't see behind closed doors. Well, let me ask you: How much do you either explicitly or implicitly convey to your own children a concern for what others will think? Oh, I've raised my children totally different, and I'm 
and they they know that that does not matter. Okay, and so um, you had said at age fifteen you were diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety, and you know a lot of anxious feelings. And I said regarding what you said, self esteem, not pretty enough, not good enough. I couldn't talk to mom and dad, so I talked to the psychologist. And then you go on to say that your entire life emotions weren't allowed. So all of your fucking feelings that you ever felt when you were feeling sad, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling this, when you're feeling that, it all got stuffed down into that motherfucking vault because your feelings weren't allowed. Yep. So you've got all these feelings. Plus, yep. you're not getting validated. You're not getting told that you have worth. You said to me that at 18, dad changed. He started telling me uh, uh, he loves me and it was weird at first, but then it felt good and it validated me as a person. And I began basically to feel a sense of self-worth. So you're drawing a link between feeling loved, your feelings being valued, being told you're loved, and a sense of self-worth. So then is if you're linking those two together in your eight, when you're 18, when you're 20, when you're 24, and even now today, if you're linking being told that you have value and, and you're feeling heard and you're being told that you're loved, you're linking that to you know feeling validated, then isn't it reasonable to assume that prior to 18, when you weren't hearing it, that that was the cause of you feeling invalid and and feeling like I suck and I'm not pretty enough and I'm not good enough. In other words, that you were all that shit at 15 had finally built up 15 years of not being told you were loved, being taught that your emotions don't matter, being taught that you basically don't matter and being taught that fucking hell. It's just like, yeah. We're not interested. Isn't it reasonable to assume that when you're diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety at 15, it's because for 15 fucking years, you've been taught that basically we don't give a shit about you. You're a fucking pain in the ass and we don't have time for your feelings and you don't fucking matter. Yep, absolutely. And so, and you have been, and you said to this day, it's the same fucking way with mom. And you're getting that validation, that love from your dad, but isn't it reasonable to say that you're not from your mom. I mean, you've all but said that, right? Yeah. Like she's a little better than she used to be, but still it's, yeah. And so is it also reasonable to, can we play with the idea or at least allow for the possibility that the void that you describe inside of you is that longing your entire life to be seen as worthwhile and to be seen as valid from the one person in your life, well, whose vagina you came out of? Yes. Because also she I have a, I'm the oldest and I have a brother who's a year younger than me and a sister who's seven years younger than me. And she has spoiled the shit out of my little mm. sister her whole fucking life. Mm. And that has always bugged me too. And my sister, my little sister, she's this gorgeous thing and she's beautiful. And everybody's always told me, oh, your sister's so cute. She's so hot. She's this, that, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Well, her other, the rest of her life's a mess, but... I mean, you know, like she's always been kind of the golden child mm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, and I can just hear the raw sort of bitterness in your voice that she got what you never got and to this day still don't get, right? Yep, yep. And if if you were to be totally honest with me right now, Sarah, is it safe to say that you still want that from your mom? Yeah. Okay. So in other words, if I'm hearing you correctly, your mom has something that you want and you've wanted for 42 motherfucking years. True or untrue? True. And what? And I think like I, with my dad too, this was maybe a year ago. I confronted my dad about some of the stuff in my past and he was very, um, he, we had a great conversation about it. He apologized, but I've never done it that, my, that with my mom because I just know if I even try, she's just going to emotionally shut down and be like, nope, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. Oh, of course she doesn't. Cause then she'd have to fucking own her shit. 
Um, and so yeah. your dad gave you acknowledgement of what he did. He apologized for what he did, what he didn't do. Yep. Is the thing you want most from your mom, is it acknowledgement? Is it apology? Is it approval? Is it acceptance? Is it what? I want some apologies because, you know, another thing, she, when I had my first child, I had postpartum depression extremely bad. Mm. And I remember her coming over to my house one day to help me with him because my ex-husband was always gone and I was dealing with things alone. And I remember standing out on my deck and she came out and she goes, you need to snap the fuck out of this. Wow. And that was her support. Wow. In like one of the worst times of my life. Wow. Wow. That had to have hurt deeply. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then two weeks later, I have this three-week-old and going through this postpartum depression. My ex-husband leaves to go on a four-wheeling trip with his friends up north, even though I was begging him to not go. Like, I've always been this strong. Like, everybody says, Sarah is so strong. She's been through so much. She's always there for other people, but I'm always the one that's there for other people and nobody's there for me. I hear tears right now. Mm -hmm. What are you feeling right now? What are you feeling? Give me a feeling word. Empty. Mm. Sad. Mm. Disappointed. Mm. It's just kind of been something I've, I've always dealt with, even in relationships since I've been divorce just I've I'm always this giver and this fixer and I want to help people and I want to you know I want to do all of this for other people do you know why that is Sarah do you know why that is because you were conditioned to believe as a child and remember you've read the book and you've listened to my podcast and seen my videos and so that when we're children we're wet cement and the messages that get pressed into the soul of that child they harden and so one of the beliefs yep. that you're taught is you don't fucking matter. And so, and that it's all right. about everyone else. It's all about mom or back then it was all about dad. It's, and so you will go overboard. You'll give exactly. everything. Just give me a little bit of love in return. When I talk about a relationship camel in the book, just give me a little bit of love. I am a relationship camel. Absolutely. Yep. And I was too. I get it. It's like I can go a long distance on just a little bit of water in my hump, or I can go a long distance on just a little bit of love. Here, I'll give everything to you. So you're always buying love. It's like, I'll do everything. I'll do everything. Just give me a little bit in return. But what's underneath that, Sarah, is the belief that I don't deserve an equitable relationship. It's the fear that if I don't give, 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 you won't love me. Well, and I think too, Sven, um, so my parents, like I said, my parents got divorced when I was 18. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. Um, my So my, when I was 17, my junior year is when my mom first was thinking of leaving my dad. And she came to me and told me this and said, this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is what's going on with me and your dad. But don't tell your brother and sister. Oh, Jesus Christ. She just wanted to tell me. So I was in the midst of this. She was... And that, so from that point on until they got divorced, and then when she finally did tell my dad she was leaving, both of them came to me as their therapist. What a bunch basically. of shit. I hate when I see that. Yeah. I mean, as if you didn't have your own shit. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. Of course it was. You had your own shit of dealing with the pain of divorce on top of the fact that they never fucking gave you love, told you that you were loved, told you that you were valued. And now they're, yep. she's dumping her problems onto you. And then dad is as well. A kid. Yeah. Yep. And so yeah. the underlying message in all of that even is you don't matter. 
You exist to meet our needs. Right. Their feelings matter. Their feel. Yeah. That's I was it. supposed to be the person. I mean, it's that's how I've always been in my family is when somebody has a problem, Sarah's the strong one. She's the responsible one. Let's call Sarah and she can help us fix and it. And what would it take for you to finally say no? What would it take for you? I have started. How does it feel? I have started. How does it feel? It feels fucking amazing. I love you so much. To say no. No. <laughs> like my sister, oh my God, some of her issues and her coming to me for help. And she, I finally told her, no, I'm not fucking dealing with this anymore. You're a grown ass adult. How did you not feel guilty? 10 years ago, you would have felt so fucking guilty. Why is it you don't feel guilty anymore? I would have. Well, <sighs> I think I got to the point, and this was just in the last year or so, where I was like, I've had enough of this fucking bullshit. Good. I am not here. I am not the parent in this family. Amen. I mean, I've I've gone through enough of my own shit alone because all of you motherfuckers were all like, oh, well, you got divorced from this amazing guy, but oh, so we're not going to talk to you for a year. Fuck you. No, yeah. I'm not solving all your problems anymore. I love it. And it's that's you. I mean, when I talk about in the book, the notion of the fuck it point. That's you reaching the fuck yeah. it point. The pain gets so bad that it's just effortless now to say no. It's like the shit you could have never said no yep. to yesterday. All of a sudden today, it comes effortlessly because I'm so sick of it. And that's that's yep. the birth of new Sarah. Exactly. And so I'm going through this process. And and I I mean, like I said, I've done a lot of work on myself in the last seven years. And I'm 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 I've learned a lot and I've, I've got a lot out and I started reading your book and, um, but I'm still at this point where it's like, I still need some set, sort of crutch to just like numb my mind. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. But I, I know that that's also a hindrance to me getting the rest of this shit out. N no, no. Well, it is, but the truth is you're not ready to get the stuff out. So two questions. Um, one because the truth is when we are fully ready and want to get stuff out, the work of getting it out, of doing the journaling comes effortlessly. So you've been avoiding it for a reason. And I'm not dogging you for that. I, I have. In the book, like the journal prompts that you have, like the questions to journal about, I started doing those and then and then I stopped and I was like. <clears throat> what happened? What, what's the real reason you stopped? I think it's because I don't want to just like, I don't want to even deal with that shit because some of the stuff from my, because it's because so fucking painful or what it is. It is. Yes. And like I said, in my, in what I wrote to you guys, it's like, I don't remember some stuff from my childhood, but honestly, since I knew I was going to be on the show, like I've been over, I'm an overthinker. I think mm -hmm. about things. That's all right. You know, I've been thinking about this. I'm like, what's he going to ask me? What's he going to bring up? <laughs> and honestly, a lot of things have been popping up in my head the last few days. Just like, oh, shit, that's right. I remember that. Oh, shit, I, re I remember that. And, and this is the bottom line. If The bottom line is this, Sarah, if you actually want to heal and move forward, the pain is going to get bad enough of being stuck, of boozing and smoking as you talk mm -hmm. about away from your kids and hiding and, hi and you're going to get so sick of yourself being this way. That you're going to reach another another fuck it point. And that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it, it's yeah. not quite there yet. And that's okay. There's no rush. The bottom line is the pain going to get so bad. It's like, I fucking hate living this way. And then you know what has to be done. You know, the reason you keep all those memories locked down, that was a survival mechanism. Because if you thought about it, it was mm -hmm. too painful. And at some point, you're going to have the courage to wade into that. And you know what? I'm just going to start flushing it out using my book, using journaling, yeah. using some of the other books I, I mentioned in my book by other mm -hmm. authors that are great tools. Um, I, I have to ask you one last question, though. 
and it's it's this, mm-hmm. and that is you have a 42-year pattern of behavior that you have witnessed in your mother of her not meeting your needs, of her being shut down, not giving you love, siphoning your energy, making it all about her. And yet you said earlier in the show that you're still wanting something from her, wanting that approval, wanting the apologies, wanting her to stop criticizing. Whatever it is, you're wanting something. And as long as we want something from someone, you've heard me say this before, as long as someone has something that I want, they have power over me. And as long as they're not giving it to me, they have the power to make me miserable and you are staying stuck, this void inside of you is in part because you haven't gotten that love from your mom. It's also that you have all this pain from your past that you haven't gotten out. But let me ask you, what would it take for you to finally let go of wanting what you want from your mom? Because you have a 42-year pattern. You're still holding out. You don't realize, oh, wait, there's a fucking pattern here and it ain't changing and it ain't gonna fucking change. What would it take for you to finally let go of it and just be like, I'm never gonna get that and I wanna go on with my life? Because the bottom line is, she has what you want, and it's like you're still wanting it, so you're staying in this miserable, stuck fucking state because please give it to me, mommy. Please give it to me, mommy. Please give Even though you're not saying it, your heart is saying that, and once you let go of wanting it, you can finally go on with your life, but it's like she still has control of your life because she has what you want, and she ain't giving it, and you're still hoping yep. she will. Yep. What's it going to take for you to finally let go of that, Sarah? Exactly, and maybe, you know, if I focus on the fact that I've, my children, we say, I love you every day. I hug them mm. every day. Mm. They tell me I'm a good mom mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I have a trans child that I've supported for seven years. Beautiful. Like, just focusing more on that, that Beautiful. I'm a much different mom than I had. And like hearing that from my kids is very validating too. that mom. Like I hear it all the time. You're a great mom. Mom, I love you. And that's great. Um, and just be careful, though, Sarah, and not that I'm trying to scold or anything like that, but don't mm-hmm. be using your kids to get right. your own needs met. But the bottom... Oh, no, absolutely and not. And so let me ask yep. you, what is the single biggest thing that you need to let go of in order to finally let go of your mom? What would it take for you to accept that you're never going to get that apology and to finally just move on for your life? What would it take? You know what I think, honestly, I need to do is just honestly, for me, like how it was with my dad is to just have a conversation with her and be like, Hey, listen, I have felt like this for this many years because you did this, 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 and this. I, I'm a type of person. I need to get that shit out. And what is your biggest fear in doing that? You could have done that 10 years ago. You could have done it two years ago. What is you? And so the fact that you haven't says that you're afraid of something, what above all else is it that you're most afraid of? If you do that, that she'll blow it off, deny it, deflect, dodge, deny. Is that it? Yes. Okay. And you need to assume that's going to happen. By the way, the overthinking, when someone's overthinking, it's because they're gaming out all the potential scenarios, looking at the possible conclusions and wondering, okay, how painful will that route be? How painful will that route be? And so they don't do things. I'd rather think because they want to minimize their pain. You're looking at the mom thing. You're thinking, I don't want the pain, so I'm not going to fucking do it. And the bottom line is, if that, you can heal without ever confronting your mom, but if you feel the need to do it, then you got to fucking do it because you're staying fucking stuck because you're afraid of your mom once again confirming what you've always known and that is she has never given a shit about you absolutely and that you know that's that really makes sense to me Sven too because when I was starting to do the journaling and the and the things from the book the first person I wrote that wrote a letter to was my fucking mom Mm. 
Yeah, and it may be time to write another one or two uh, letters you don't yeah. send. And especially if you're going to talk to her, flush it out of your system first, first. in a letter that you're not going to give to her. And then if you want to talk, the truth is you can do all this healing without ever confronting her. But if that's something you want to do, I support you 100%. There's something powerly, powerfully cathartic. And I want to make one final point before I let you go here, Sarah. And that is mm -hmm. this. People say to me all the time, well, Sven, why would I ever fucking confront a parent? Their parent, my dad's just going to deny it or he's going to dodge or he's going to say, oh, well, yeah, that's too bad. I apologize. But now we need to move forward. In other words, basically blowing it off. Why would I ever do it if they're not going to fucking own it? And I said, it, you do that confrontation. And again, you can heal without doing that confrontation. But if you're going to do it, you have that confrontation not because of what you hope to get from them. Not because you hope to see them change, but you're saying it not because they'll do something, but because you need to say it. Just to get it out of you and be like, hey. Amen. Yes. Like you did all this shit to me or you said That's this it. shit to me. I'm going to say this yep. shit to you. Amen. Amen. And it takes profound courage, but boy, the sense of liberation that can come from that. Yeah. Sarah, you have been a fantastic guest. I really, really enjoyed having you on the show. I want to thank you so much on behalf of the Badass Counseling team. Thank you. And to everyone who's been listening and to Nate, thanks so much for being on the show and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.